Last week, Devin led off a new series that we're calling The Advent Conspiracy. And actually, just to be honest with you, the series idea isn't original with us. We're shamelessly borrowing this from some churches around the country who started this about five years ago. The series, though, focuses on a struggle that we all have this time of the year, and it's the tension between Santa and Scrooge, between Cindy Lou and the Grinch. So on one end of the continuum are those who are absolutely over-the-top excited about Christmas, Santa and Rudolph, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, trees and tinsels, cookie and, and cider, hot chocolate and carols. And then on the other end are the grumpy types who remind us to keep Christ in Christmas and don't ever say happy holidays to me. Now, a few of us go to either extreme. Um, most of us think that Christmas has probably gotten away from us, and yet we're not ready to channel our inner Scrooge. So how do we connect with the true meaning of Christmas without stripping all the fun out of the month of December? And that's what we want to unpack for the next couple of weeks. The Advent Conspiracy is designed to get us to think about Christmas differently, to conspire to take Christmas from what it's become and take it back to what it should be. So this Christmas, we are committed to worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. Now, let me just give you a little inside information. When we uh, plan a sermon series here at City Church, uh, one of us will have an idea. We'll usually develop that idea. In this case, actually, Devin was the one who had the idea. Then we work on it from the concept to thinking about graphics, music, and other elements. And then the last thing we think about is who's going to teach on a particular week. And sometimes that's just simply a matter of schedule. A couple of weeks ago, I looked at the schedule for the month of December and realized that I had drawn the short straw. Now, let me explain. So the first week of the series is worship fully. That's really, that's kind of a spiritual topic. You can't get into trouble with that one. The last week in the series is love all. Who can be against that? But spend less and give more, those are the two weeks that I have. So one week I get to scold you, and the next week try to pry money out of your wallets. By the way, now that you know what next week's topic is, you know how when we start a service here at City Church and there are about seven people plus the visitors in the room, the rest of you kind of trickle in about the time we get to the last song? Well, next week, there's not going to be any trickling in. I think you're all going to be somewhere else. Now, I think you know that I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek about all of this, but I don't like to scold people, and most of the time, I don't like to ask for money. But in the next, it's the last I've thought about these topics over the last few days. I'm warming up. That isn't to say that you're going to like what I have to say. In fact, you might hate it. But the truth is, is that both topics, spend less and give more, are important ones. Important ones, especially for us to talk about at Christmas time. Plus, my job isn't always to tell you what you want to hear. Occasionally, we have to tackle a topic that's a little more challenging. But here's why it may not be so bad after all. You see, most of us want to live lives that have meaning. We want to be defined by more than just the accumulation of stuff. We don't want to find our identity in coach purses or Rolex watches or Teslas or granite countertops or Xboxes or 70-inch flat-screen TVs. In fact, most of us are looking for more. We want a different way of life, a way of life that will lead to more purpose and meaning for now and for eternity. And deep down inside, we know that we ought to live by more than just our relationship to our stuff. And Christians aren't the only ones that have figured this out. Recently, through uh, my youngest daughter, I've heard about a movement called the Minimalist Movement. There are even books about it. And it's a movement made up of people who are committed to live with very few possessions. So some of them are saying, you know, what you really ought to do is pare your life down to, say, a hundred things. That's all you should have. Everything else you get rid of. 
And so they set numbers. Some even go fewer than that. In some extreme cases, they've gotten rid of cars, TVs, in some cases, even their homes. And they start trying to push that number down to 51 and 47 and 35. And the whole idea is that you can live with more freedom if you have less stuff. Freedom from worry, from fear, and most of all, freedom from the trappings of our consumer society. Now, as you might imagine, there's been some backlash about all this. Um, The problem with the minimalist movement, like all movements, is that eventually someone takes it to an extreme. And so you can get obsessed with counting stuff and feeling better than everybody else because you have less stuff than they do. Kind of the opposite of the normal way people think about things. But the advocates of minimalism may be onto something. It's not that there's anything inherently wrong with having things. It's just that we tend to give them too much meaning. And we give too little meaning to some things that are probably a lot more important, like relationships and personal growth and serving others. So the point here is not to try to push the number of things down as close as we can to zero, but to make more conscious decisions about the way we live our lives. And our world is consumed, literally, with a passion to get more stuff. Often, the good life is defined by having more things, and the more the better. And we accept this almost without question, and so we strive And it leaves us anxious and breathless as we scurry about trying to collect more stuff. Now, occasionally you'll hear a story about someone who inherits a vast sum of money. I've never heard, although there probably is someone who's turned it down. The idea that we would turn down more stuff seems almost unthinkable to us. The idea, though, of simplicity comes from the Christian value, or the idea of spending less comes from the Christian value of simplicity. And practically, it starts with the basic idea, um, economic idea, that we should spend less money than we make, although that's harder these days than it might sound, because in the days of easy credit where you can buy a flat screen TV with zero interest for 12 months, you can get a car with 1.9% down, it's easy to spend more money than we have in the bank and quickly find ourselves with a mountain of stuff and no financial margin. But the practical reasons aren't the only reasons that the value of simplicity helps us. So what the Bible tells us is that living simply can lead to a more satisfying way of life. And it starts with the idea of learning to be content with what we already have. St. Paul had a young friend named Timothy. He wrote him several letters. We have two of them. And uh, he was giving him some advice about how to think about life. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 8, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And he's not saying that we only have food and clothing. He's just saying that the basics, the essentials of life are enough. Or what Paul wrote to some Christians in the city of Philippi. He says, I, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it has to be a need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And so what Paul was saying is, I've been rich and I've been poor, and I've learned to be content in either of those sets of circumstances. So living simply starts with being satisfied, being content with what we need rather than what we want. It's not forced poverty, but it's choosing to live more simply than we otherwise might. It's refraining from at least some of the luxuries that could be a part of our lifestyle. And it's something that through the centuries, many have advocated. People like St. Francis of Assisi and groups like the Shakers and the Amish. Now, in some cases, these groups have gotten very prescriptive about what simplicity looks like. And that's turned some people off. And in the case of the Shakers, it led to their demise. That and the fact that they practiced celibacy. But Jesus valued simplicity as well. 
One time a man was squabbling with his brother over the distribution of an inheritance, and so he came to Jesus thinking he could get Jesus on his side. And Jesus warned him. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have a few nice things. God often grants us good things, and we ought to receive those with gratitude and enjoy them. But we need to be careful because it's easy for things to ensnare us, to entrap us, for us to think that we need them in order to live. But we also know that simplicity is more than just about money. It's also about how we use our time. And so one of the most common complaints in the month of December is, I am just too busy. And so the busyness of the Christmas season, our entire month becomes so full that we end up thinking that we hardly have time to think. In fact, some companies have canceled their December Christmas parties and moved them to January. Actually, we've done that as a staff as well, because December's just too busy. We're so distracted that sometimes it seems like we're just going through the motions. And that has nothing to do with not spending money or spending money. It just has to do with how much the time, the season, impinges on our time. Now, what Christian simplicity offers us is to free us from this mania, to bring sanity to our extravagant lives and peace to our frantic spirits. And it allows us to see our material things for what they are, goods that enhance life, but not things that fulfill us. It frees us up to make room in our lives for others and for God. It's learning to distinguish between what we need and what we want, to prioritize relationships over stuff, and to step back from the distractions of life and to make time in our lives for God. And it's a discipline. It takes practice. It, takes, it makes a conscious choice. We have to build new habits. And it's not easy. In fact, ultimately, we understand we can't do this on our own. We need God's strength to be able to help us. Willpower alone is not enough. But what simplicity does is it affirms both the goodness of things, but also the limitations of material things. It reduces our dependence on those things and increases our dependence upon God. Whenever we make things the central, place, central thing in our lives, they will disappoint us. But if we put our dependence and our trust in God, we'll find our true satisfaction. Now, the Christmas story is in many ways a very simple story. It's the story about a birth of a baby. And that's a pretty ordinary thing, especially around here at City Church with lots of babies. But what isn't so simple are the geopolitical dynamics that are at play during the time of Jesus' birth. At the time he was born, there was a powerful emperor who issued a royal decree. Augustus was one of the world's great leaders, and under his rule, Rome controlled more of the world than it ever would uh, again. And he ordered a census requiring everyone in the region to go to their hometown, that included Mary and Joseph, who took a long journey to a crowded city from Nazareth in the north of the country of Israel, 90 miles south to Bethlehem. And it was a difficult journey without freeways or minivans, and Mary was nine months pregnant, so this was not an easy deal. And they arrived, things were even worse than they may have expected because the city was just crowded with visitors who'd returned for the census. Mary and Joseph weren't wealthy. They didn't have connections. They were simple, not by design, but by necessity. And Luke tells us that there was no room for the family. Traditionally, it's translated in the inn, but basically there was no way, place for them to stay. There's no suggestion here of a long search for accommodations or a harsh innkeeper, although that may have been true. But what we do know is that there wasn't a proper place for a baby to be born. And so Luke writes, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. 
She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for, for them, or more traditionally, no room for them in the inn. The manger that they placed Jesus in was a feeding trough full of hay, full of food for animals. That implies that he was born in a stable or a barn, although we're not told for sure. Nonetheless, they're humble surroundings. They're not like the greeting card images that we often send to one another at Christmas time. It was dirty, it was smelly, it was loud, it was cold, it was uncomfortable, and it was unsanitary. Not the proper place for the birth of a baby. Certainly not the proper place for the birth of the Messiah. And I think there's powerful symbolism there. As Jesus' life would unfold, he continued to find that there was no room for him in the hearts and minds of the people of Israel. Some hearts were too distracted to pay attention, and others opposed him, rejected him, condemned him, ultimately to die a humiliating death of a common criminal. For Luke, the only place for, that people made for Jesus was on a Roman cross. So is there room in our hearts for Jesus today? Now, there may be some in our day, like in Jesus' day, who reject him. But that may be the exception rather than rule. Often it's just the busyness of life. and We just simply don't make room for Jesus in our lives. That's where the value of simplicity becomes so useful. Now, I used to think that people must have been busier in days gone by, although as I've read more and more history about the daily life of people through the centuries, their lives were pretty busy too. People have always been busy, and making room for Jesus in our lives has always been difficult. It's not just the question about God's existence or difficulties that we find in the Bible that keep people from opening their hearts and minds to Jesus. It's our own preoccupation, our own distraction that sometimes makes it difficult for us to open ourselves up to him. It's the hustle and bustle, the daily demands, the constant press of responsibilities that distract us. And many of these things are very good, family and work and other important activities, and yet often the good just crowds out the, the, the best. Now, there are, of course, things that are not good in our lives, and we need to identify those and get rid of those. But the most important point here is that we need to make room in our hearts for Jesus. We're busy people. And then comes Christmas, and what should be a relaxing holiday becomes a stressful one, one of the busiest times of the year. And the busyness of the season makes it hard for us to reflect on the message of Christmas, to slow down and make room in our hearts for Jesus. When our daughters were young, um, there was one particular Christmas when I just felt like the whole thing had just kind of overwhelmed me, and it was late in December, and I was really feeling disconnected to the story of Christmas. I was more consumed with trying to find presents, just the right present for everybody in my life, uh, than I was, was with the spiritual reality behind the holy day. I found I was just going through the motions. Christmas was just like any other holiday, like the 4th of July, Thanksgiving Day, or Veterans Day. It didn't feel special, and I certainly didn't feel connected to the Christmas story. So I decided I needed to do something. And so one evening, um, pretty late in the evening, I think almost everyone was in bed, at least the girls were in bed. And I went into our living room, and I plugged in the Christmas tree, and I took a Bible, and I turned to Luke chapter 2, and I started to read the story. And I read slowly. I just read a phrase at a time and reflected on it and thought about this story, this familiar story. And what I found is uh, almost immediately it began kind of a change of heart. I began to realize uh, how the distraction and the busyness of the season had just filled my mind. And I thought about this story. And instead of being distracted, I found myself, um, that whole distracted feeling, being replaced with a sense of wonder and of joy and of being filled with the Jesus of Christmas.
So we're at the start of the month of December, so we haven't even made it to the end yet. And so maybe this Christmas, we can make a different set of decisions about how we use our time and our money. We can spend less time and less money in order to make room in our hearts for Jesus. Instead of allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed by the bustle and the hustle and let Jesus be squeezed out of the picture, maybe we can make time and make room in our hearts for him. And so let me just make a simple suggestion that sometime in the next few days that you take some time. It might be early in the morning before everyone's awake or late at night when everyone's in bed or some other time that's quiet. Maybe you go into the living room and you plug in the tree and you take a Bible and read Luke chapter 2. It's the most familiar of the stories of Jesus' birth. And it's one that's so familiar that sometimes we can just kind of slide by and not let it sink in. But read it. Read it slowly. Maybe even read it out loud in order to let the meaning of the story come through. And as you do, ask God to show you the Jesus of Christmas. Open your heart to him. Now, it may be that what I'm sharing today is completely new to you. Maybe you don't know the Jesus of Christmas Maybe the message of Christmas, though, is starting to make sense to you for the first time. There's no better time than this time of year to open your hearts and minds to Jesus. Let me just tell you the basics of what this story means. Jesus came into a messed up world, and we live in a messed up world. And if we're honest, we understand we're part of the mess. The whole idea of Christmas was not just that there was a baby. Jesus arrived as God's rescue strategy. And the manger leads straight to the cross, Christmas leads to Easter, where Jesus died, died the death that he did not deserve, the one that we deserved, and rose again from the dead so that we might have life. One time I was talking to someone who had just made a commitment to follow Jesus, and I asked her, told me a little bit about her story and how she made that moment, and she confessed to me, she said, you know, I thought about this for a long time. And I said, well, you know, what made the difference? Were there questions, objections, things that you had to work through? She said, no, not really. She said, I hadn't really said no to Jesus, but I just really hadn't said yes. And I finally decided I needed to say yes. So if that's you today, if it's not that you've said no, you just haven't gotten around to saying yes, make this Christmas the time that you make room in your heart for Jesus and say yes to him. Well, I started today by saying that uh, I had a lot of hesitancy about taking on this topic of spend less. I don't like to scold people. I don't like to tell you how to live your lives. Um, sometimes it makes me sound a little bit like Scrooge. But the more I've thought about it, the more I've realized how important this is for all of us, myself included, that there's something profoundly satisfying about the idea of simplifying our lives. What's true is that our deepest satisfaction is not found in the stuff we have, but in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I really believe that if we put Jesus at the center of our lives, that we will be better off than if we don't. I'm convinced that if we make room for him in our lives, we will have peace and meaning and purpose. We'll have guidance. We'll have strength to face difficulties. And we will have the hope of eternity in our lives, hope that we do make or may not currently have. I believe that following Jesus wholeheartedly is to discover that he alone satisfies our deepest longings, that he transforms our most persistent failings and heals our deepest pain. So this Christmas, take time to slow down. At first, you may not feel anything. Maybe it's not going to be an immediate deal. Maybe you're not going to feel anything at all, but it will recenter your life. It will focus you and understand that God promises that when we seek him, he will meet us. My favorite Christmas carol, at least one of my favorite Christmas carols, is Joy to the World. And if you can think of the first verse of that carol, 
The line is, let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. Let every heart prepare him room. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Spending less, living simply in order to make room in our hearts for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, our lives have been full of the busyness of Christmas, and we're only at December 4th. This time of the year brings us so much joy as we celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus. And yet, Lord, we confess that sometimes you get crowded out. For this, we ask for your forgiveness. Father, help us to make room in our hearts for Jesus. Help us simplify. Help us spend less. Help us slow down and reflect. And then, Father, make your presence real to us as we seek you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.